So you're at about an 88.9% chance of living 10 years with that pancreas without needing insulin, which is pretty breathtaking. Oh, I gotta yeah. go. I've been working, told him, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog, swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this game, now my fan, they can't eat. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Cup of News, episode 74 with your hosts, Peter and Matt. Thank you everyone for tuning in. If you guys like this content, appreciate it, find value in it, please give it a share, five star. Share with your loved ones, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your daughter, your son, maybe your grandparents even. But we, we appreciate that because that's what helps us grow. We see the downloads, the algorithm picks us up. And this is why we're behind this mic. So th thank you, everyone, for tuning in and taking time to listen to us. Cupofnurses.com. We are frontlinesword.com for all the merch. Check out the description, the show notes. Uh, we have a lot of awesome blog posts that are being written on both the Cup of Nurses blog and the Frontline blog. So check that out about travel nursing, nursing, and anything to do with consciousness. And also our vlogs. We're going to start recording in Austin again. So, yeah. Exciting, exciting stuff. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great, man. It's been been pretty chill living here in, in the desert, Austin, Texas. First time ever living in a desert. The only other place that's a desert I've been to is Arizona. It's 45 degrees in Chicago, and we're chilling with 80 degree weather. Yeah. Could go out to the pool. I ain't complaining one bit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But guys, today's episode on a couple of news is going to be about diabetes. It is November, so Diabetes Awareness Month. So we thought we would shed some awareness about diabetes, some prevention tips what exactly is, and a little bit of science, science and research that's actually going on as we speak. And diabetes is a chronic condition, so it could be genetic, it could also be environmental, depending if it's type 1 or type 2. People say that's genetic in both parts, mm -hmm. even type 2. So what, what it exactly is, is just insulin resistance at the end of the day. And the way I think about diabetes is just to paint a scenario, it's insulin resistance from sugar going into the cells. Like the way I see it is sugar is toxic to the cells. They are aware of that. So it's almost like they, they're putting body armor on. Mm. And what happens is, okay, no problem. Pancreas produces more insulin, keeps getting shot into the cells. Now the cells are like, damn, we're still getting a lot of sugar. They put more body armor on. Eventually the pancreas can't even keep up with the production of insulin and you get this resistance where there's too much floating sugar in your blood. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy to look at because you have to eat food to sustain like life and your cells. When you eat food, food gets broken down into glucose and then with the help of insulin, the glucose gets absorbed by the cell. So it's a crazy phenomenon because you're eating, you're eating food, you're getting carbs, you're breaking down this food into glucose, but yet your body is still energy depleted. And it's like, think about how could that have genetically happened? It's almost mind blowing. Like how did, how did this come about that you, you're eating, but you're actually not feeding yourself? Right, you're still starving somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's mind blowing on how to think about like how this disease came, came into context or, or to, to reality. But two of the main players in diabetes is going to be uh, glucose and insulin. Like we said, glucose is derived from food. When you eat food, it gets broken down. And then that glucose gets dense, either stored by the liver 
for a release at a later time when you're fasting or when you need it into your cell immediately, then insulin is also circulating around your or in your blood that's produced in a pancreas by your, by your beta cells. And that's constantly there to, to feed the cells. And if you could, you could think about it as like a, a key to the door, the insulin is. So you have glucose floating around and your cells are hungry. So insulin comes around, realizes what cell is hungry, opens that door to that cell, and then the glucose just walks in. And when you have diabetes, uh, depending on type 1 or type 2, there is some kind of a miscommunication in that process. Either your body is very sensitive or very resistant to insulin, or there's just some reason why your body isn't properly using the insulin. Yeah, metabolic disorder, and this is why it's called a chronic inflammation disease, and it starts affecting the eyes, nervous system, the heart, the kidneys, and overall, it's a nasty disease. Mm -hmm. You don't hear people really dying of diabetes because they die to, of the complications such as a stroke, maybe a heart attack from atherosclerosis or et cetera, or they died from sepsis, but really they lied from having open wounds that are not healing from you know, neuropathy. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is missed in society of what it could, could cause if you're not in the medical uh, field. Yeah, and what's crazy is, now during these times during this pandemic, the majority of people that are dying are also dying because they have these comorbidities. The biggest one of them being being diabetes, obesity, and, and hypertension. So this is just not only important during the month of November, whereas diabetes awareness month, it's something that should be important all the time. Because here in the United States, diabetes has been on a very high, high incline. It's always increasing year after year. And associated with that is also the cost of the medications, not necessarily for the people with diabetes, but for the healthcare costs, for people that, that pay their taxes and pay into the whole healthcare system. That raises our tax dollars as well. So it's not only affecting people on this metabolic level, but it's also affecting people on a financial level and indirectly affecting other people on a financial level as well. So some stats from, from the year 2020, uh, when they were released, there was about 34.2 million people that had diabetes. And I believe like about 27 million of those um, is diagnosed diabetes and the rest of them is still undiagnosed because you have to take into consideration that not everybody is going to go to see a doctor and get diagnosed, diagnosed for diabetes. So I'm not sure what they, what they use, what kind of methods or anything like that, but they're able to predict an estimate by how many new, new cases of diabetes there are. They're also able to predict how many are still undiagnosed. And also what's crazy in, in 2020 is that 88 million people that were above the age of 18 and between 65 uh, suffered from, from diabetes. That's 88 million. Our population in the U.S. is, what, 300 something million? So a little under 30% of people have diabetes in between right. the age of 18 and, and, and 65. And, yeah, and it's crazy, mm -hmm. like looking at the, you know, what the prediction is for 20 and 30 that it's going to increase by 54% yeah. and you're going to have 54.9 million Americans affected right. from the time of 2015 to 2030. So yeah. just like you mentioned, health care is going to be an issue and it's going to weigh us down. Not including that, it's a chronic inflammation. And with the pandemic and everything, it's not going to help our healthcare mm -hmm. system. And it's so sad and we bring it up in numerous episodes, so sad how we missed that point too of why uh, C19 is so contagious and why it spreads and why people are so immunocompromised and preventing the chronic inflammation, but yet we're not doing anything about it and just saying that there's no cure for diabetes. Yeah. And to be honest, I think they're definitely lowballing these estimates because 
I looked at two different studies that are doing like these 2030 or 2025 a prediction for, for how much people have diabetes in the US. And one of the predictions stated that they looked in between, they estimated that in between the years of 2015 and ending by 2030, there's going to be 54.9 million people that have diabetes roughly by, by 2030. And think about it, in 2020, we've already had 34.2 million. So if you like kind of look and divide it in between the years, we're at a trajectory that we're going to reach above 54 million cases by, by 2030, which is crazy. And another study that I looked at that looked at the rise of diabetes between the year 2000 and 2025, they're saying that there is going to be almost 20 million cases of diabetes in 2025. Well, guess what? It's 2020 and it was already at 34.2. So that's already above their estimates. Wow. They're going to do an analysis from the year 2000 to the year 2025, which is crazy. We need to be doing something about yeah. it. And as always in our episodes, you talk about food. Food is the leading factor of why this is happening. Environmental factors, you are what you eat, right? Our food is so ultra processed where they grind, they mill everything down to the point that it's so fine and bleached and everything that it's pure flour mm. where it, it's a high glycemic food. And normally our body is used to having food that's natural and raw, that has fiber, that takes time to break down in our body, and it doesn't cause like these high insulin spikes. And what, what we're experiencing is because of our environment and our food, we, we're having crazy spikes of insulin that are causing this cascade, which is leading to diabetes. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, man, it's like, it's, it's crazy to think about that there are diseases that are on the rise that are more preventable than others and how some people kind of ignore that. It's that mentality where, where it's like, it's not gonna happen to me, it's not gonna happen to me, it almost happens to a certain people. And then when it actually happens to you and you're like, oh shit, how does this happen to me? You understand how it happened and you also understand when you look at the research that this is a more common issue than I thought. Because if there's 88 million Americans that, that have some sort of diabetes, and that's almost a third of the U.S. population. Like that's it's crazy. Like this is this is and this is preventable too by diet, exercise. Of course, there's some people that are you know they draw the short end of the stick where they genetically have type one diabetes, they're born with it or, or whatever. And yet, you know that sucks. But those are in a smaller amounts compared to the the people that have diabetes that that's preventable that they could have prevented it or they could control it better. They just choose not to. Yeah, and it should be alarming when you bring up those stats and also when you look at the life expectancy where it's leveling out. We've been increasing decade after decade and now we're at the standstill. I forgot the exact mean, it's like 76 point something maybe, ballparking it there. And now we're going the opposite way. We have 2021, all these advances in technology, medicine, and somehow our life expectancy is going down. We should be looking at what's affecting it, including this issue, which is so preventable. Mm. And even if you look at our patients that we admit in the hospitals, like you tell them what they should do, how to change, what to eat, manage your weight, carb count, maybe how to use your insulin pen or insulin in this case, and they come back for the same things, you know, started with a foot ulcer, hey, I stepped on something, didn't notice, turned into MRSA, now you have osteomyelitis, now you have to amputate the foot, and it just gets nasty, mm -hmm. man. And like the worst part of all this and just experiencing healthcare is like, I remember med surge patients when these patients are in contact because of the nursing home and then you got a diabetic with multiple BKAs 
and then he has pressure ulcers on his back. And it's like, man, it's just crazy to... It's, yeah, it's so sad where it ends up yeah. to, like, see the bad spectrum of what this is. And the other spectrum is literally eating healthy and being, mm. being um, living how your body should. And it's so hard to do it in our society. Right. And the craziest thing is, because man, I have dealt with multiple times, is in the hospital, majority of the time, it's not an education or a knowledge issue. It's more of an action thing because these patients can... They come back and they tell you exactly what they shouldn't be doing and tell you, yeah, I shouldn't be doing this, but, but I've been doing it. So it's not an education issue. It's almost like the, the willpower and the, and the want to change and need to change. That, that, that's the issue. That's like a whole different story all by itself. Yeah, that's like previous uh, couple of news episodes you were talking about changing your programming and not doing what you're doing. It's causing this. Right. So when it comes to diabetes, there is a few different types. Uh, they're all similar in, in certain, certain ways. And um most common ones that you're going to hear about is usually type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and then gestational diabetes. There is also something called prediabetes, and that happens uh, when you don't have full-blown diabetes. Your, your sugars still aren't high enough to where they're in that range for diabetes. But this is a good indicator that, hey, if you don't start changing now, you're going to have diabetes because you're becoming more and more insulin resistant. Yes. So with type 1 diabetes, that's the first one. It's probably the the one of the more common common ones that you're going to hear about and that is due to the fact that your pancreas cannot produce insulin they don't have any beta cells or these beta cells don't produce insulin for for, for some reason and you have hyperglycemia and you're going to be forever on insulin therapy because you don't have the ability to make insulin yeah and then type 2 diabetes that's a little situational it can either be because you have very high insulin resistance so your body isn't using insulin properly because maybe you just eat very poorly or whatever the cause is. Or you could just not be producing enough insulin. So you have beta cells, you have working pancreas, but just for some reason your pancreas can't produce enough insulin. That could be due to because you have a high, high amount of carbs or because of your diet or because you just simply don't produce enough. So either don't produce enough, you have insulin resistance, or your body basically cannot keep up with the production of insulin based on your eating habits. Yeah. Did you mention that type two is a more common one? No, I did not. Okay, because I thought I thought you said type one. So I just want to do that. It's for the for the record, it's type two that's more uh, prevalent. Mm. Um, and what's interesting about type two and why we do intermittent fasting so much is we're preventing from this insulin resistance from happening when we did our research. And like the way I like to look at it is like when we eat so much and all the time, and you you don't give your body a break. There's something called like the spillover effect. So your liver can only store so much glucose that when you eat, it gets stored. So what happens is if I keep pouring carbs into the freaking uh, cup here, eventually it's going to spill over. And that spilling over is just turning that into fat because it can't be stored anymore. Mm. So when we do a fasting, it depletes the, the storage, the container, the cup here. We're able to eat again and keep that cup satisfied instead of spilling over to fat and then causing this insulin resistance from Overconsumption of calories. Right, 100%. Yeah, that's why fasting is so beneficial. It's, it's if you want to like lose weight or, you know, get your, like your diet or if, or hit your fitness goals, or whatever. Intermittent fasting could could help you with that like vastly. Yeah. And there was a UPS doc worker that I worked with before that changed his lifestyle because his doctor recommended intermittent fasting and it actually improved his uh, pre-diabetic state. 100%. But of course consult with your primary doctor because you're messing with sugar levels, 
you don't want it to drop too low because you're fasting for 14 hours. Especially you're, a diabetic too. Yeah, you, you fall to the ground. Hard. You're like, oh, I heard on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Not here. Not then, here. Then I get sued and then, you know, a couple nurses, you know. Not today, feds. Yeah. Not today. <laughs> so the third one, another one that you may have heard is gestational diabetes. This is a little bit different because this happens when a so female gets pregnant and she's having a kid and then because she's going through these trimesters she has like this i don't want to say the disruption but a change in, in the hormone balances that for some reason she gets diabetes and usually that goes away after the baby is delivered and sometimes that could be, be prolonged uh to you know for the rest of her life or it could stop six months after the baby's delivered it, it could range with it with any time um, I try to kind of figure out how, how this happens, why this happens, and most of the research is still kind of inconclusive. Uh, most of it's just showing or pointing to like all the different hormones going through, through a human body that somehow insulin gets, gets affected. Yeah, it's you interesting know? how that happens. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the pre-diabetic state, and that's just a elevated blood sugar level, which usually gets diagnosed, which, your, which is your HbA1c level. You could check at your doctor, and that's just a average blood sugar of the past 90 days. I think it's a red blood cell, some kind of receptor that gets targeted from there. I don't think, I forgot the test, man. Three months of nursing uh, kind of got rusty. A1C? The, A the A1C, it's like a protein or hormone that they take from a red blood cell to figure out the fasting oh, yeah, blood sugar. Oh yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah. There's H some, HB something maybe? I don't know. Say some, yeah, some receptor. <laughs> There's so much freaking like knowledge in the medical field that you just forget these small little things and it's like, I remember it because I remember it in, uh, anatomy class right. and it just slipped away. It's like, I know what it would be if I saw it, you know? Yeah. And this is the warning sign that your doctor is going to tell you, hey, it's time to change some environmental things, exercise, whatever is to prevent that insulin resistance from happening, lose some weight, give your body a break from eating technically. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So the effects of diabetes, a lot of people don't understand or they have a misconception about being diabetic and having elevated blood sugar, it's putting your body in a chronically inflammatory state. So you know how when you cut yourself, you get that redness, puffiness, and then it heals and it goes away. Well, that's happening to you on an internal level as well, to your blood vessels throughout your body, your capillaries, all that stuff, but it's internal, so you can't really see it, but this, this, this is continually going on. And when you have elevated blood sugar continuously through long periods of time, your body is always damaging itself and fixing itself up, damaging itself, fixing you back, fix itself back up. But at some point it's going to leave scar tissue that's going to leave these cells that aren't probably functioning just because they've been broken down and built up so many times. It's like when you put the same puzzle together multiple times, like the, the color starts to come off, right? Because if you do the same puzzle piece for, you know, five, 10 years, guess what? The color starts to fade off. That's kind of how it works inside, yeah. So which is pretty crazy. That's one that people don't understand. It's, it's this chronic inflammation that's so damaging, not necessarily just the diabetes, but the effects that, that, it, that it causes systemically. Yeah, and something I was reading about the atherosclerosis, which is going into the whole heart aspect of the veins, supposedly this extra blood sugar that's in your cells, your, if your insulin can't clean it up, the immune system comes in and the macrophages eat the extra sugar. And what happens is the byproduct because of the reaction that happens when it eats, the byproduct is causing this uh, oxidative stress, which is leading to the um, atherosclerosis. Right. Yeah, and that's what causes the buildup of, of plaque, and then your arteries, you know, start to narrow, and you get 
uh, coronary artery disease, and as people go into heart failure, all because of, of diabetes. Because when you have a narrowing of the blood vessels or a weakening of the, of the lining, you have less oxygen going to the actual heart. So if there's less oxygen going to the heart, heart is going to be weaker. Except in this case, when you think of a weak muscle, it usually shrinks, but the heart expands. So when a heart expands because it's not getting enough blood flow, so a thing has to pump harder, and it expands itself to pump harder, but when it expands to pump harder, it also closes down those chambers chambers of the heart and therefore doing detrimental effects in the long run because you have a naturally increasing in size heart that's building muscle, but the hollow parts of the heart are actually decreasing. So at, at the end, you're going to throw yourself into heart failure and you're going to have either have an MI or you have cardiomyopathy and then you're eventually going to die. All because you had this silent chronic inflammatory state in your body. CVICU life, huh? <laughs> yeah. Peter explained it very well. He's, he's dealt with a lot of LVADs. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from the sugar drawer. Yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad I don't have the LVADs anymore because those were a mission, dude. Especially when you get a shit show LVAD, dude, that's... I want to talk about it anymore. It's a lot. Shout out to that. Yeah, look for the post. Yeah, let's have a little mm-hmm. yeah. drink. Of, uh, Shout out to the homies. On the show. All the LVAD patients that I've had, man. Hope they're doing good. Shout out to all the nurses listening. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. So the next thing about diabetes is that it causes issues with the eyes. And what happens is you have a retina that gets progressively damaged from the sugar levels, diabetic uh, retinopathy occurs. Diabetic retinopathy. Retinopathy, which causes the eye uh, leak. It causes fluid, right, which causes the tissue to swell. And over time, it decreases your vision. Yeah. So you can say like the capillaries in your eyes, they rupture and blood leaks out and fluid leaks out, and that automatically you know, colors up your, your vision and you get blurry vision or, you, you know, you start to, to lose it. And every time you go to your eye doctor, that when they shine a little light into your eyes, they're checking for, for that stuff because my ophthalm, ophthalmologist, what they're called? Bro, I just messed up the other word, man. <laughs> Try to make me pronounce. I think you got my back, dude. Ophthalmologist. Ophthalmologist, something like that. Got you. Yeah. Um, well, she was, she was explains because she always explains to me what she does because she's, you know, um, she doesn't talk to a lot of people <laughs> because she's an eye doctor, so she likes to talk. You know, it's so funny, you know, because she likes when people ask questions because I always ask questions when, I, when I'm there. And she always gives me the same response, like, oh, I'm glad you asked so much question because I normally don't talk to people. But I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been coming here, like, every few months. They always give me the spiel. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so she was always, t- always like, showing me. And, and then she let me look at hers. But, I mean, I couldn't really see it, see that good. But it was pretty interesting. But you could literally show me images of it, and you could literally see, like, these little vessels, like, bursted vessels. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, so if you want, to, if you don't want to go blind, you know, lay out those sugar cookies. Yeah, man, that Luke. drawer. That one's for you, man. So the brain, it also gets affected by diabetes, and researchers researchers are still trying to find a link between diabetes and dementia. They don't know the exact rationale behind it. One thing is, which is not something really talked about in medicine, but is type three diabetes, and researchers are starting to find out that there's insulin resistance in the brain because it uses up glucose mostly, mm-hmm. just like there is in the body. So that might be causing either inflammation. So one thing I read in the book as well, and don't quote me on this one because I'm not sure if it's lipoproteins that are being traveled up and down our circulatory system, you know, if a blood, if a brain cell needs something, it gets signaled, it mm-hmm. comes up, it delivers it. What happens is it's almost like a, a beehive where the communication gets lost because these lipoproteins are coming out bad because of the increased sugar levels, mm-hmm. which are then just being um, 
hovering around think about it the brain and the body and it has to be cleaned up so the macrophages come again causes oxidative stress but if it ha it's happening in the brain too and it's bursting it's causing damage mm -hmm. to like the nerve cells yeah and if they if those get broke down maybe the myelin sheath gets affected now we're leading into the nervous system diseases like parkinson's and multiple sclerosis i don't know how linked that is of course this is not a research study i've backed up facts on but I was reading something around those lines in a book that was describing that process. Right, but it makes complete sense. Yeah. And I'm sure when when, you, in, when the future comes or X amount of years down the line, there's for sure going to be some kind of research and studies that are going to show that there is a direct correlation between diabetes and Alzheimer's and dementia. Because diabetes is a systemic inflammatory state, which means systemic inflammatory state, which means it affects all your bodies. And what's a crazy fact we don't know about is your brain only accounts for about 2% of your body mass or your, or your body weight, but it consume, consumes about 25% of your body's glucose. So 25%, a fourth of the glucose that your body uses goes to your brain. So, so think about that. And like when you consume a lot of glucose, a lot of sugar, a lot, a lot of unhealthy foods, what happens to a person in general? They get, they get fat, they get bloated. You know, there's like these analogies where, you know, you eat so much, you burst, right? So what if these neurons eat so much that they burst? And this is what causes that, that Alzheimer's at dementia because yeah. type three diabetes, another word for that technically is, is, is what is it like Alzheimer's uh, diabetes or something like that? Cause it causes Alzheimer's because it's, cause it causes some kind of a brain issue. And if it's, this is why inflammation is so crazy, just like your pharmaceutical drugs, they work throughout your body, same with glucose. Glucose travels the same way throughout your body. Yeah, and also to add on to that point, there's also a bi-directional level between that chronic inflammation and the, the gut microbe. So if there's inflammation happening systemically, the mi gut microbe is unhappy as well. And because it travels bi-directionally through the you know, vagus nerve, supposedly the metabolites that get released also travel up. Mm. And if now they're getting deposited into the brain and the, the macrophages have to come again, it keeps containing that byproduct right. that's causing this damage. Uh, what's interesting is Peter and I have been talking about fasting for years and we've been doing it for like a decade almost, we can say almost mm. now we're 27, like 16. And we've been knowing that the research is factual and now it's finally coming out. So that's where I feel we're on the money we're here with. We're talking about these concepts that are not yet accepted in medicine, but we're starting to find out more and more connecting the dots that, hey, this might be the issue. Right. Yeah, it's, it's crazy where time where time's gonna take us. And like you, sa you said, like how it affects the brain and all that stuff. Um, I was gonna say like the diet or the GI system, the diabetic neuropathy, that people, when people hear diabetic neuropathy, they usually think of their fingers or their feet and a numbness associated with them or tingling. But diabetic neuropathy can also affect the GI tract. It can cause you to have, have ulcers and different issues in your GI tract because like Matt said, it's bi-directional, so it affects everything. So that's, your GI discomfort might, might be because you have undiagnosed diabetes or uncontrolled blood sugars. Like that could be the direct cause of our GI issues because it's just so systemic. And when you have these systemic diseases, it's it's very it's very kind of hard to it's like put a bandaid on it because it affects everything. You need a lot of band-aids to put on it. That's why it requires like a drastic change. But the beauty of it again is you are the change. So you can ultimately fix yourself. You just have to do it. You know, you gotta clean your shit up sometimes. It sounds so easy, but it's so damn hard. Mm -hmm. It's like we're guilty of our own advice too, because we know it's bad, but you know, sometimes you're cruising through Aldi or Whole Foods and 
you see the sugar cookies. Yep. But everything in moderation, you know? Yep. Because like imagine if you if you've imagine if you come to like a part or a point in society where we ban peanuts. And for some reason, you know, there's only like 20% of the population can have peanuts. People would be more susceptible to getting a peanut allergy and then maybe eventually we're not going to be able to know how to genetically process peanuts. So then we're going to be forever unable to process peanuts. So that's kind of what, what I think where everything moderation comes in because your body gets gets used to certain things. Same way you try out different things in life. Like it's like in your high school, trying different sports, you find your sport and you go with it. You know, but you, you got to have the variety. Very good point. It's like the whole gluten thing. Mm -hmm. Why did it just suddenly arise? Right. What do we change in our food system that led to this gluten insensitivity? insensitivity right. got it yeah, that true. right now we have to have gluten-free products but maybe see gluten's interesting because maybe it's got to the point where it's so processed where it's it, the boy or the amount is being processed and a time it's quicker and changing and development compared to how our body can catch up to processing it yeah gluten's different but i understand gluten because like just because like you have a gluten sensitivity doesn't mean you shouldn't not allow any of your family or kids to have gluten because then that's going to not have them built up that like you could say that ability ability to process gluten and then when they go to their friends house they have some pizza like gonna be shitting their brains out because the first time they have gluten at the age of like 12 or something you know so you have to expose your kids into different different things 100 you know, i agree with you yeah and that's how you get past everything so we get past fears so why can't we do it also on a genetic level too by by exposure i think we did an episode i want to say like last year about peanuts and how one treatment process to getting rid of a peanut allergy is to slowly expose the kid to more and more and more peanuts. Exposure to yeah. it, okay. And it ended up working for X amount of people. It's like uh, the seasonal allergies where mm -hmm. I had it in Chicago all the time when flowers are blooming. And then I don't know if it was me going to California where it changed the environment or me consuming honey, maybe me getting healthier because I have more conscious eating, but my seasonal allergies went away. Okay. So my, my theory on seasonal allergies, and you know I haven't done any kind of studies, I haven't bought any mice or anything like that, or, or asked around, but <laughs> my mom told me that if you eat local honey, like year round, if you're gonna stay in an area or for majority of the, of the year, you're going to slowly get used to the pollen that's going to arise in the spring or, or the fall time, and you're not going to have allergies because you've been exposed to that to the pollen already through the honey. And I yes, swear to God, that works too. for me. And I know when I start, when I start slacking on that, I get those allergies. I, I swear to God that works. You could quote me on this shit because it for sure works. Tell me I'm wrong, Matt. Polish remedies. I agree with him. There you go. He's, he's agree with me. Luke, he agrees as well. So the next thing that diabetes affect is the kidneys. Uh, that's how we digest usually protein when we eat. It, the kidneys create wet waste products, and there's tiny blood vessels, capillaries, which filter out metabolites through processes that squeeze out the byproduct and we have urine and what happens is diabetes causes damage to that system the blood sugars uh, filter too much right and it kind of over exhausts the filters and eventually things start to leak and it creates different issues like proteinuria and etc yeah and then you need a kidney transplant and you're on dialysis all because you couldn't properly eat you know these aren't these aren't things that are associated with like old age like yeah I'm, there's always a the old age factor but the thing is that when you're 55 years old and you've had uncontrolled diabetes since 
you found out you had diabetes and that's the age of like 22 you just didn't take care of yourself now you're 55 with diabetes and like and say adrenal disease like that's kind of like your own fault because you knew about diabetes at age of 22 and you knew how to take care of yourself and now you're 55 and you still implement any changes and now you're kind of screwed yeah and then that's how i talk to my family members about it too yeah. for example one of my close family members had an extra blood pressure pill added on and it's like for them it was like nothing okay get another pill but they didn't understand the perspective it's like hey do you know why you have another pill it's because you're con you're doing the same thing you're doing not changing and now we need to add another chemical mm. because you're continuing your shit another band-aid yeah you know and then and that's when that person's like oh wow it's it's me because so many people don't have that sense of power control to change they think it's like out of their control it's mm -hmm. external and that's how like society teaches us teach us they teach us that happiness is always out there somewhere but you know as you know through all this that we're learning about self-improvement it's all in here mm -hmm. we've always true. had it true and what's crazy like from an early age we almost learn that with as as you age you get better 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 but then it comes a point where now you're stagnating and maybe that's so engraved where a lot of these issues and chronic diseases happen to people because they almost think it to happening and it's kind of kind of makes sense not now we're like you're literally thinking about hypertension you develop hypertension it's more of that like hey my doctor says hypertension but guess what majority of my friends and people my age have hypertension, so it's probably a normal phenomenon, so it's just part of life, and I don't yeah. gotta do anything. It's, it's not how it works. Especially when they just blame it on genetic and family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, like, you know, I'm, I'm, 60, I'm 60 years old, people that I know are 60, everybody always told me 60 years old have hypertension, so I have hypertension, and you know, and then when you look at a person, he's like obese, and he, you know, he's, he has a you know, high BMI or just looks unhealthy, and it's like, no, the expectation isn't because you're 60, you're gonna have hypertension. It's because you're not preventing yourself from getting hypertension. Yeah, it, it's like that. You can apply the same scenario to like success. So, you know, you could have rich parents and be inherited, be successful and have a business. You could be poor and do the same thing. Be successful, start a business. What separates you from the other person is just where you started. Where was your not finished the finish line is all the same but the start you had a maybe delayed start you know what that means he's got to work a little bit harder right and that's all it is yeah. once you accept that fact you can make change but if you don't accept that fact you're trying to uh distract yourself from that emotion you're trying to suppress it or deny it mm -hmm. once you accept that work hard and the sky's the limit same thing in this scenario in, in a sense right there you go straight business <laughs> straight business on that right there you go now you can make some money guys yeah exactly fact facts so what i found intriguing is i actually looked up if there's like a surgical procedure to you know cure diabetes because i remember when we did a similar episode to this one a while back uh pancreas transplant or something on a rise but still weren't really that well explored so i actually looked at if they do they currently do pancreatic transplants and they actually do and what i found is some very uh breathtaking results majority of the studies that i found or that i, that I looked into or happened to stumble upon they all showed a very positive survival rates for people that that have a pancreatic transplant like one of the studies that i looked at if you guys want to look into it, it's in the show notes 
uh, the survival rates for somebody one year, five years, or 10 years after a pancreatic transplant. So their chances of living that first year with that pancreas is 100%. The five-year mark is 97.5%, and then the 10-year mark is 88.9%. So you're at about an 88.9% chance of living 10 years with that pancreas without needing insulin, which is pretty breathtaking. Yeah, it's beautiful. yeah and that's so beautiful because it's unfortunate that type 1 is genetic and this person had this issue, and this transplant can change both issues, especially if you get the SPK, right, that you're getting pancreas and a new kidney. So if you're diabetic and you're type 1, that both of those treatments are going to stop. Right. You don't need insulin, and you don't need to get dialysis. Right, because, because pancreatic transplants, they're not something that you could just get whenever you want, right? Obviously, ideally, the sooner we could get the bad pancreas out and a good pancreas in, that's going to be more beneficial for the patient, but we don't just have a pancreas for everybody here, you know? It's not just like man and I could, you know, hop on the waiting list. Let's say man and I get type one diabetes and, you know, and then we hop on a waiting list. We're probably not gonna get our, get our liver or, or our pancreas un, until we have like almost end stage, you know, pancreatic disease, you could kind of say. Yeah. Like, like, it's really hard to get a pancreas. Of course, these results are, are, are awesome. It's just like we can't give out a pancreas to everybody, yeah. which kind of sucks. I don't know if you looked into it because I have no idea, mm. but if you're getting a double transplant like this, does it have to be from the same donor? Mm. Good question. Right? Like, do um, you have to find a person that's willing to give up his kidney and a pancreas? Can it be two different, or two different people, two different organs? Or I would think, uh, logically speaking, because I worked with a few transplants, um, I would think that they, they can, but it would just have to be... Well, the thing is interesting because when you introduce two different organs from two different people then you have to do the lab testing because your number one fear is, is resistance and um, your body fighting off those organs, right? But now you're doubling the chance of resistance to, that, yeah. to those organs because they're two different people, right? So maybe like ideally, they probably would prefer one candidate, but I'm, they might be able to do like two different people. Yeah, because technically That's two different question. antibodies, maybe. Yeah, Who yeah. knows? We need a transplant professional yeah. for this one right but even when you need a kidney and a pancreas uh your chances of survival are still very high uh the one year mark for for survival of somebody that gets a pancreas and a kidney is also 100 percent. the five-year mark is 94.6 and then the 10-year mark is 88.8 which is which is amazing that's mm. actually higher than the than the one with just the pancreas yeah mm. because then you're getting because Usually, if you're getting a, a, a pancreas transplanted, you've had diabetes for a while, so you for sure have some kind of already kidney damage. So I've, obviously, you'd have better results if you get a new kidney and a new pancreas compared to just getting a new pancreas. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And going back to what I was asking about the two organs, so in order to combat this, and you know, we already transplanted successfully a genetically modified pig kidney into a human recently. It'd be a pretty good couple news episode too. Which is interesting because we also get, is it an insulin? Oh no, heparin's made from, made from pigs. Yes. Some of a heparin is. Yeah. Okay, never mind. So if we're able to grow a kidney from a pig and now put it into a human, that works. What if we start genetically modifying organs, however they're grown, 
without antibodies. So then the person, the donor that's getting the, the organ doesn't have to take immunosuppressants because you don't need to stop your body from fighting something off because it already accepts it as it is. Mm-hmm. And somehow you just spread your own antibodies into the organ once it's in F. Right. It's just my thought. Yeah, it's, interesting. it's a good thought. It's interesting. There's money to be made there, but I, I don't have the brains and the intelligence to open up a company like that that could get a team to do those kind of experiments. Maybe one day. What are you going to make one in the Philippines or somewhere? Put a little, build a science lab? Yeah. You know? I mean, Wuhan did it, bro. Yo, they could like look, package look, coffee beans by day and look do some a, lab look research Look a weapon they night. created. No pun intended. <laughs> okay. So we actually looked into the whole pancreas transplant process and it's pretty intriguing. So what happens is when you get qualified to get a pancreas from a donor, they basically take, in, take you into the OR and they make a incision in the lower center of your abdomen and they basically prep your body and they put the pancreas, the donated pancreas, next to your pancreas, they suture it in and they basically start it back up. But what's cool is that they actually leave your own pancreas still there. So technically, if you had a pancreatic transplant, you technically have two two pancreases. Wow, that's yeah, fascinating. That's pretty mind blowing. So don't, don't take it out. I'm guessing why they don't take it out is because that's probably another risk for bleeding or whatever. It's probably easier just to li- just leave it there. It's probably still getting blood flow, but it's probably going to like like wither away and get smaller, but still still be like survivable. You could, you could say interesting. And then the other one, you're taking a part of the intestines as well, so you're just like suturing it back and reconnecting it. That's yeah, so fascinating. if they're getting a liver from a deceased patient, they're taking the the pancreas and a part of the intestines as well as the pancreatic duct, and they're implanting all that into the recipient. Wow. But if it's a living donor, all they they're doing is taking the pancreas and just a portion of the of the tail of the pancreas and putting it into the the recipient, which is crazy. Because I'm guessing that since the person is alive and you take a piece of their pancreas and our intestines then they're probably gonna go into maybe need a aostomy because if you're taking yeah. and remove some part of the intestine, maybe you could affect how your digestive system is going to work and you probably don't wanna force on somebody that's donating an, an organ, right? And these are usually people that are probably going to be you know, near death or they're going to be on a ventilator on a life support that are donating their, their, their pancreas, of course. Oh yeah. It's usually not gonna be somebody that's like, you know, in their 20s unless they have some kind of a disease where they're going to die for some reason. You know, like, yeah. You you made me think about ostomies. Made me think about nursing, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, oh, smell. Man, I'm not looking forward to ostomies. Mm-hmm. I honestly like trachs and a lot of other things compared to ostomies. I just never liked them. Yeah, when you it's th- never when you too of, good at them. Yeah, when you think of like expectorant coming out of different orifices, uh, ostomies by my least favorite. I rather do suction. I hate I hate fucking suction respiratory care, but I rather do that over ostomy because my yeah. that's just. Yeah, I I really respect anybody that needed to get an ostomy in a young age and had to cope with all that yeah. to get through. That's tough. That's super tough. Respect. Because it's just like, it's a visual thing and it's like a smell thing. Yeah. And that fucking sucks because it's not visually appealing and it's always there and the smell always sucks. Just imagine dating with that. Yeah. What are you going to say? props. It's it takes a lot, man. Yeah, it and, does, and the man. partner is going to need to have a lot of respect as well, and she is not going, or he is not going to have to take care about other people's opinions right. because that's how deep that's going to drive. And look how much like your intimacy would shift 
with somebody with like an ostomy. Like you know how how difficult that must be like like, like getting with off intimacy, yeah. like that or even like you know at the beach taking your shirt off like something that we take for granted. Like it's like yeah you take right. your shirt off but guess what now you got a fucking ostomy right there for everybody to see. Yeah, you know, so props tough. for everybody that, that, that has one man. Self confidence, self esteem. You got to mm. be. You should tough. be like a self esteem coach or some shit. I'm saying no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So ostomies are not fun. Yeah. And man, you almost had one too. So imagine if. Speaking of which, right? Imagine yeah, if your accident went bad and you had to have a shit bag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they took a little bit of my small intestine, but it wasn't enough for me to need an ostomy. Otherwise, that would be that would be, be fucking wild, man. But uh, I, I don't know what the fuck I would do. Yeah. But on the other note, yeah. thank you everyone for tuning in on this episode about diabetes. Hope you guys learned something about it. Maybe it could prevent a loved one. And maybe your loved one has diabetes or someone in your family. Mm-hmm. Send, send this episode to them. Let them learn about it and see the changes that they can make with their life because anyone can do it. Yep. Have an amazing week, guys. Peace.